Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Seminary. This podcast is a variety of audio resources from around Southeastern. To learn more about Southeastern, visit scbts.edu. All right, so let's uh, let's get started. We'll we'll start. Uh, maybe we'll go uh, in um, starting from the worst dressed all the way almost to the best dressed. But if you could. Um, if you could briefly uh, introduce yourself, uh, introduce your role here at uh, Southeastern in the college, and uh, maybe how long you've been here. Yeah, I'm Scott Pace. I'm the dean of the college, and I've been here a little over a year. So my name is Scott Hildreth. I'm the director of the Center for Great Commission Studies, and I'm in my 11th year here. My name is Ron Jorlock. I'm the uh, director for the Pastor Center and also instructor of preaching and urban ministry, and uh, it's been almost two years now that I've been here. My name is Jim Shaddix, and I direct absolutely nothing. Uh, I, I teach preaching, and uh, uh, been uh, this I'm in my eighth year on the faculty. Fantastic! Thank you for uh, joining us here, and also this important conversation. And let's just jump in, uh, Scott. Let me start with you uh, as dean of the college. Uh, you also bring a, a lot of years, not only in the classroom but in ministry as well. So this whole idea of calling—is um, it biblical? Is it important or why does it even matter? Yeah, it's an extremely uh, crucial conversation. I'm so, so glad we're to be on the panel, but also that we're having the conversation in such a venue uh, as this. When you think about calling, uh, there's, there's a lot of different ways that scripture talks about it, but it definitely talks about it. And I think it's helpful sometimes to distinguish uh, and clarify how we mean calling. So for instance, uh, scripture talks about a general calling uh, as it relates to all believers. So Ephesians 4.1, for instance, uh, walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Uh, there's a general call to salvation. There's a call to surrender. Uh, there's a call to serve that, that is universal for all believers and even uh, could be understood collectively and corporately for the body of Christ. But then we also see throughout Scripture an individualized purpose, as I like to call it, as it relates to calling. When you look at God's use of, and even as we saw in some of the Scriptures that were uh, read this morning during our worship time, uh, whether it was Noah or Abraham, as we saw, we saw Jeremiah, we saw Isaiah reference, but you also have plenty of others. There was an individualized purpose that God set these people apart to serve a particular role in his kingdom uh, goal and his kingdom enterprise and understanding what our calling is, that individualized purpose that God has for each one of us, I think it's critical for us to fulfill God's will and ultimately for his kingdom to grow to the intent and the, the, the level that he desires. No, that's helpful. And so you talk about this idea of a calling or in God's individual purpose for, for us as believers. And so, uh, Jim, let me invite you in a little bit. Is there, is there a difference, if any at all, between what some might consider a calling into vocational ministry and just a calling in terms of any other vocation a believer might enter into? Yeah, short answer is I, I think there is a difference. Uh, both, as Scott said, are, are callings and come under that general banner, but there's no question that when you look at Scripture, and, and we did, we read some that I think would fit into this extended category of a specific call. And, I, and I, I don't know, I think maybe we need some new terminology. I don't know exactly what that is, but we just talk in terms of call to ministry or you know gospel ministry and stuff. A, a lot of that can apply to everybody. But there seems, you know, there is a calling to whether it's leadership or some role in the shepherding of God's church and the advancement of the gospel uh, that, you know, is really important. And I think that has to be distinguished. I, 
the term vocation, um, you know, has some baggage to it, like all terms do, just because that, that almost suggests that we get paid for it. And I don't think the calling that God, you know, places on our lives to leadership is all of some, uh, something that he owes us a salary or an office or a title. But nonetheless, it's not any uh, less than a very specific calling. I think some of the things that distinguish that from saying just a general calling and uh, maybe a vocation that somebody pursues and goes to college to get a, uh, you know, a degree in one would be compulsion. Uh, I think this is something that we're, you know, we, we are consumed with, even obsessed with, uh, to the point that we're willing to give our lives. And most people, you know, that just have a vocation are not necessarily ready to give their lives to that vocation. But this thing of gospel ministry or leadership in the kingdom, whatever the case may be, it is something we're called to suffer uh, for uh, if, if need be. You know, another thing is appointment. Uh, I think the church acknowledges and assigns individuals that, you know, give evidence of this calling. They set them apart. The church doesn't set people apart to be accountants uh, or, you know, to be school teachers. It doesn't make, mean those roles are not important. It's just there is a role in the church that is attached to this, you know, this thing of ministry leadership. It's a lifetime call. You don't retire from this. So I think that distinguishes it from a vocation. Uh, we, may, we may retire from a position, uh, but we don't retire you know, from the calling. Last thing I would say is it, the word determinate comes to my mind. Uh, in, a, in a vocation, when you are called to a vocation, um, you know, that pretty much determines the decisions you make, where you go, where you live, uh, because that, that's the first thing. And then you make disciples in that context. But in this thing of the calling, you know, of, that we're talking about this, this further step, it's the calling that determines it. Uh, you follow the calling, and then you say, I'll figure out how to put bread on my table. So I just learned that uh, none of us get to look forward to retirement, so thank you for that. Um, <laughs> but no, that's really helpful, and, and you brought up some really, really key ideas, and I think it fits well with uh, one of the questions uh, from our audience here, and, and it's this. And, uh, maybe Scott, you could kind of start us off here. It says, how do you know that you're called to do something and it's not just your own heart's desire? No, that's, really a, <clears throat> that's really a good question. We, you know, when I was growing up, there was always this idea of a God called versus a mama called preacher, you know? Um, so did your, see, you guys are so young, you don't appreciate the joke, but, um, <laughs> but you know, the idea was why, why am I in the ministry? Is it because my mom wanted a preacher as a son or is it because God called me. And so there's always this tension. And I think there are a couple of ways to look at it. And one of them begins, I think Dr. Shaddix is exactly right. There's this internal compulsion. There's something about leading in the church or going to the mission field that just drives you to do something and your inability to sit back and do nothing. I think it was Spurgeon that said, if you can do anything else, go do that. But when you can't, it's because God's got his hand on it. So I think that would be one. I think a second would be that uh, somehow there's an external affirmation. People look at you and they say, hey, you're a good teacher. You're a really good counselor. You're a good leader. When I hear you, I feel like God's speaking to me. There's this, there's this idea of, of that God has gifted you for the calling. Uh, and, and I think the third is that in your church, there's a recognition 
that this is what, so there is a set apartness. And it could be something that begins small. So if you're a college student or a seminary student, we shouldn't anticipate we're going to become the lead pastor. But it may be that, hey, we want you to teach in this youth Sunday school class. We want you to lead here. I think we can take those as both an internal compulsion and an external uh, confirmation. I think a fourth one needs to come into play here too. In a world where people are consumed with immorality and with uh, f- uh, financial greed or uh, other types of, when, when you begin to think, I think God wants me to go to the mission field, you can pretty well bet the devil didn't put that idea in your mind, right? Um, or if it's like, hey, what I want you to do is to give up the opportunity to live any way you want to live, to be immoral, and to, to pursue godliness and purity and lead God's people. I doubt the devil put that in your mind either. So it starts there. The compulsion sticks with us, and then I think there's affirmation that comes. Can, can I chime in? Because uh, all three of those aspects of affirmation, I think you're exactly right to that student's question. Um, because Paul modeled all those. In the second half of Galatians 1, he talks about the personalized aspect. This was between him and the Lord, and ultimately he went off to Arabia, and he began to exercise that gift where he then saw uh, and then came back to Peter and the apostles, got some private affirmation, and then he had the public affirmation of people recognizing, even not seeing him by face, but God was using him. And all those three aspects you talked about uh, were evident in Paul's life. And I think it's also important to note that they don't always follow the same sequence. Sometimes you get the public affirmation before you've been personally kind of begun to discern it. Um, and, and so I think those things can fall out of sequence, but they'll all typically three, I think, be there. Uh, let me invite you in a little bit, uh, Ron Jor. Uh, before you came to join us here at Southeastern, uh, you were a pastor in the Baltimore area. And, uh, and so now you're here, you're, you're teaching, you're, you're still doing ministry. But the question is, if you, if you were to say, hey, I was ca- I'm called to preach and to pastor, but now you're here teaching primarily, how do those things fit together? I'm actually currently living in disobedience to the call. <laughs> Thank uh, you for that confession. <laughs> No, um, uh, to be honest, if, if, I can, if I can rewind the table a, a little bit further back, uh, Annie and the kids and I were in Texas. I was uh, uh, pastoring, uh, I, was, I was an interim uh, pastor at, at a church in Fort Worth. And uh, while I was there, the church in Baltimore in the neighborhood of Brooklyn uh, called me and said, hey, you know, we would really love for you to be the pastor uh, here. Uh, if it weren't for the sense that God was calling us to go to Baltimore, we wouldn't have gone to Baltimore. Uh, anyone who is aware of Baltimore and aware of the realities of, of life there, it's not exactly a, a pleasant move for your family and young kids. And our baby at the time, our, our youngest, uh, was about six weeks old or so uh, uh, when we moved. And so uh, it was, it was a, a, a pretty... Uh, serious move for us and uh you know of course our family that lived about an hour or so away from us uh they they hardly ever visited us for for obvious reasons uh they were afraid that if they drove to baltimore they wouldn't be able to drive back from baltimore uh because someone would have stolen their vehicles or something like that but but that was what what brought us there and that's what kept us there uh, during riots and all the things that were going on, uh, there were plenty of times where people had come to me personally, friends of mine, uh, pastors from, from out of the area, they would come and they would just kind of set me aside and just privately ask me, how long do you plan on being here? Uh, are, are you going to 
you know, this is a good start. This, this is a good, you know, good place to begin and all that, but how, how long do you plan on being here? And my answer was always the same. I'm here until God tells me otherwise. Uh, as long as we're here, we're all in because the Lord is the one that brought us here and the Lord is the one that's going to sustain us while we're here. So going to your question now about, about moving here, the only reason that we left Baltimore to come here was because we sensed that God was moving us here. Uh, we had talked about the ministry. Uh, I recognized some of the needs that were there on the ground in Baltimore, uh, the need for, uh, for folks like you uh, who are well-trained and well-equipped uh, to go and to make disciples in hard places and difficult, uh, difficult neighborhoods and so on. I recognized that, uh, that there was something that the Lord was growing in me uh, to be a part of this. Uh, and if it weren't for that, I would still be pastoring in Baltimore. Uh, so, yeah, there were uh, years in Baltimore where I sensed that God was calling me to pastor this church here. Uh, and then it was uh, after, obviously, the affirmation from folks here, affirmation from my family, even affirmation from our church and from our elders, where they said, uh, after a long period of prayer, uh, they said, Pastor, we think that the Lord wants you to go there. And, uh, and like I said, if it weren't for that, I wouldn't have gone. Greg, could I jump in and just say, I, I think that none of us that are in equipping roles in a place like this feel like we gave up our calling, you know, to come and do this. I remember when I first, I didn't sign up for this. When I first started, I swore I'd never teach or do doctoral work or anything. That's another story. But, but I remember sitting down with my mentor when I first began to feel like, you know, I, this is something I needed to pursue. And I, I said to him, Dr. Fish at, at Southwestern Seminary, I said, Dr. Fish, I've got to preach. You know, and I, if, and he, you know, he said to me at the time, he said, Jim, you'll preach more as a professor than you ever did as a pastor. And, and he was right. But my point is, my, my calling didn't change, you know, even though it changed location and even expression to training pastors as opposed to being a senior pastor. When God leads, you know, in these relocation callings, sometimes it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to deny that calling that compels us and consumes us. Now that's helpful to think through calling. Sometimes I think we have a static picture that it's gonna look the same always. Well, we're not the same always. And so that's helpful. Let me grab another question. This is a great question and we won't do it justice here, but we can start. Um, and so the question is this, uh, how would you recommend that women discern between the call to missions versus the pressure that women feel to go since roles in the American church are so limited. So there's a lot in that. Um, let me just say a couple quick comments while you guys reel a little bit. Um, let me just say a couple quick things. And again, um, I think there's so much wrapped up in this. Uh, the first is I think it highlights uh, an imbalance that unfortunately and sadly has historically been true in the world of missions. And that imbalance is uh, women tend to go to the hard places. Men don't. And so part of what this r brings up is women, we need you on the mission field in a multitude and a variety of places and ways to serve. But men, you need to step up. We need more men on the field. So I, I would say that's one thing. The other, I would just say generally, uh, whether it be missions, uh, whether it be church planting or any sort of ministry, um, to go because you're either disenchanted, uh, to go to get away from something, uh, 
to go because, well, there's nothing else for me to do, so I'll, I'll kind of go do this or try this. Uh, I think that's the opposite of calling, and you won't last. You'll either be bitter, you may burn out, or who knows, perhaps something worse. Uh, but it also highlights, I think, um, what we haven't done well in our churches, talking about uh, the opportunities and the places for women to serve in the church and even, even among uh, missions around the world. So, other thoughts? No, I think that's right. I, what I would, the only thing that I would add to that is that the calling that God places in your life is a calling to say yes to some things and to say no to some things. And it's a determining factor and I think whether you're male or female, but I'll speak especially to the young ladies here, that God puts a call in your life and a call on your heart. Uh, I would encourage you to pursue that with the vigor and the enthusiasm that anybody else is going to pursue it. Uh, and then the opportunities will come. Dr. Shaddix made the point earlier that our, our calling to what we may traditionally call vocational ministry doesn't necessarily mean that's where you earn your money and your vocation. It's a calling to the church. It's a calling to serve the people of God, to, to reach the unbeliever. Uh, it's, it's this calling and compulsion. And so my encouragement would be to pursue that. If it's in the local church, let God lead you in that and do that with vigor, enthusiasm, and allow the roles and responsibilities to come. And then if it's to the mission field, pursue that with vigor and enthusiasm. But don't let the disenfranchise with the church drive you to the mission field. But at the same time, don't let the difficulties of the mission field leave you back here in the local church. I think we probably need to deal with this question later in a video. We can get somebody who can give some more thought to it. But I, I would at least want to say that at this point. Let's just really um, lean into what God's calling you and pursue it and allow God to open the door that he wants to open. Um, you know, the Bible is pretty clear in the book of Revelation. God opens the door, nobody can shut it. And so I think it's the same thing refers to calling. Uh, I'll give all of you an opportunity to kind of weigh in on this. Uh, I know, and, and we talked about this uh, even coming into this conversation, that, uh, I mean, a part of my growing up, uh, you know, I heard about calling. I mean, that wasn't a, an unusual thing to hear about. I would say um, there's question about terminology these days and, and effectiveness of that. But I would say we, we probably don't hear about it as much. Uh, and so if I can use the phrase, I think we've lost a little bit of this emphasis or this valuing of the idea of calling within preaching and teaching. Uh, and so I'll just, you know, jump in as you'd like, but why do you think we may have lost some of that? And then do you have any recommendations for how we might recover a healthy understanding of calling? I think some of that has been driven by the, the right motive of, of kind of mobilizing the church as a whole. And rather than creating a varsity JV type of mindset and mentality, uh, or an elite status for, you know, that, that sometimes that, that connotation carried in, um, in maybe generations in the past. And an effort to kind of diffuse some of that wrong thinking, I, I think we kind of leveled the, the playing field in such a way that really any significance or calling of any kind lost its significance. In other words, there's no distinction, and in that, you do lose that individualized purpose. Uh, and so I think that's some of the, the reason. 
why you don't hear it spoken of in churches as much as the fear of misunderstanding that and wanting to kind of steer away from that uh, elitist mentality when in reality that's, that's not it at all. At all. I think what we have to do is we have to kind of recapture, to this specific point, recapture some of the, the value and the significance of the roles and responsibilities of church leadership, if we use that terminology, um, to where we don't feel like we have to apologize when somebody asks us, what do you do for them? Well, well I'm, a, I'm a pastor, you know, and, and it's almost like uh, you have to say, I'm sorry for that. And because we've gotten to that point in our culture and in our churches, we've kind of minimized this calling. I think the other thing is that we've tried to steer away from what would otherwise be mystical or mysterious language uh, in an effort to kind of ward against uh, a subjectivism or experiential type of understanding. Uh, We've tried to maybe become too objective and remove the Spirit's leading and the conversation about the Holy Spirit and even kind of our personal interaction with the Lord. Uh, And so to avoid some of that confusion, again, we've swung the pendulum too far and, and avoided it altogether. Uh, kind of piggybacking on what what you said, Scott. Um, in America, we don't like balance. Um, we're a very weird species, uh, at least amongst humanity. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, uh, we we saw kind of in generations past this 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 um, massive emphasis on the pastorate as being the sacred call of God. And everything else is secular and unimportant. And, you know, who cares about the, the bus driver? You know, when you could, as, as you were saying, you know, mama, mama doesn't want a bus driver. Mama wants a pastor, you know, and, and, and all that. And so what happened then in recent years is there's been a pendulum swing to the other side that says all of work is sacred. All of work is, 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 is a gift of God. All of work is worship and amen to that, of, of, of course. But in our imbalance uh, uh, culture, we swung the pendulum all the way over here to the point that now everything is just kind of flattened and there isn't any nuance or distinction between any of, of the particular uh, vocations that God may call us to. Um, I, I think that from our standpoint, what we need to do is we need to recognize, one, that yes, all of work is sacred and all of work is, is, uh, is precious in the sight of God. All of work is worship, uh, uh, or at least can be worshiped to him. But at the same time, recognize that uh, it was kind of in the Ephesians 4 uh, uh, vein that the Lord has called specific people for the specific tasks of equipping the church to do the work of the ministry. So even in Ephesians 4, there's a separation here between those who are doing the work of the ministry and those who are equipping them to do so. Uh, and, and I think in that sense, we recognize, you know, there's no difference, you know, in terms of the value of these, of these uh, of different ways of serving the Lord. There's no difference in the value of them. But this role here seems to have a, a certain degree of importance and, and significance in the sense that if these people here don't exist, at least using Paul's logic, the work of the ministry isn't going to be done because there's no one to equip and to guide and to lead and to shape uh, uh, for those particular tasks. So this uh, task here in Ephesians 4, these, these, this group of tasks seems to be uh, of, of, of quite a significance in the mind of Paul and the mind of the Lord. Oh, I appreciate what Ronger started off with when he said here in America. 
I'm not sure that that's a question they're wrestling with in a lot of other places across the, you know, this, the, this flattening out and this, the, the emphasis on calling. And so I, I do think there are a lot of factors that are part of our culture here, you know, in America, in the Western church that affect this. And another one that comes to mind is individualization. You know, it's just the, you know, we, we, we want to, you know, our rights, you know, our, our agenda, our dreams. And, and when you do that, you, you separate yourself from one of the most important aspects of being a church, and that's community. And calling, I think, is very, very closely tied to community. Church recognizes, church affirms. Sometimes the church leads out, like you said, and, and recognizes it before the individual does. <laughs> Uh, but even when the individual recognizes it first, there still is a responsibility to and accountability to, to the community of faith. And when you separate that out, and this becomes about me and what I sense in isolation, um, it, it's going to have a tendency to get really skewed. And, and I, think, I think we see a lot of that. Now, this is good and, and rich and helpful, I know, for me and hopefully for everyone else. And We've got so many good questions here. We're going to have many conversations, I think, that we'll follow up on. Um, so unfortunately, this has to be our last uh, question. I think I'm just going to direct this at, at you, Scott. Um, uh, and maybe we'll do more of this in the conversation after the conversation. But can you just briefly, and, and briefly, not, not the pastoral briefly, but briefly. Um, hey, you're throwing shade at me like three <laughs> times now. Greg, dude, it's we need to have I a counseling you. session. Where's Dr. You're taking Rios? your time right now. Briefly share with us, uh, you know, kind of about your, about your calling and maybe what's one or two ways that you kind of hold on to that in the daily grind of life and ministry. And Yeah, it's, it's interesting. When I look back at, at my calling, it was discerned with some of those different elements of affirmation, but in a, in a, maybe a non-traditional sequence in that other people were recognizing it. I had other certain individuals who were investing in me recognize it, and then God convinced me of it. Um, and I had to really wrestle with that. One of the things that my mentor uh, talked about, and it's funny that we've had conversations or referred to, well, my mentor taught me or my mentor told me, I think that's a big part of helping discern a calling is that, that discipleship and, and investment that other people were making in each other. Uh, but one of the things he, he taught me was to really wrestle with the call. Don't be scared of wrestling with it. If you think you're called to something, wrestle with it and determine, am I or am I not? That could come through experience and exposure and attempts and various things, uh, but it also may come through personal, spiritual, kind of those Jacob moments where you really wrestle with the Lord to discern, God, what are you calling me to? What are you telling me to? And the reason that was so essential, and he told me this ahead of time, and now in the last 20 years of ministry, as I look back, I can absolutely see the wisdom. He said, Scott, there will be times in ministry that the only reason you persevere will be because you know you're called. And if you haven't wrestled with that on the front end, you're gonna to get to a point where, whether it's the circumstances in the church, in your own personal life, your relationships that matter most to you, some of those things, finances, whatever it may be, will dictate to you that you take a, a detour, that you go off the path. But the one thing that will keep you cemented into it and faithful will be your recognition of the call. God, you've called me. I can't walk away. And I know in my own life, there's been seasons where I would have prayed, God, if there's anything else I can go do, kind of like that wisdom, yeah. God, I'll do this. This would work. I could go take that job. I've got this degree. I could go do that. And sure enough, the one thing that would convince me on my knees before God, you can't. I've called you. 
Um, and I would have short-circuited God's will for me and the other people that God's called me to invest in uh, if I had walked away. But the calling was what had convinced me to persevere. And so I would encourage you, don't be scared of wrestling with the call. If it's things you're asking questions with, continue to ask, pour over in prayer, seek wise counsel and wisdom, uh, and keep wrestling with it because it'll be critical for you as you move forward. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Consider giving to Southeastern Seminary online or visiting us for a preview day. For information on how to give or sign up for a preview day, visit scbts.edu.